On this episode of the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience, John Maddox is joined by several mortgage experts to discuss some very important questions concerning COVID-19, how it'll affect the mortgage industry and our overall economy. Welcome to the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience podcast. Listen in as CEO John Maddox of Fund Loans reveals tips, secrets, and origination ideas to fill your pipeline with million dollar opportunities. Fantastic. Uh, well, obviously, starting out with you, uh, you're my CEO at Fund Loans. Uh, you've been in the business 21 years. Uh, it, Fund Loans is a mortgage lender focused on jumbo and super jumbo lending. Uh, Al Qureshi is on the line. He's a managing partner and part of the senior management team at Blue Water Fintech. He oversees product development there, day-to-day operations, influences the strategy there. Uh, in his uh, 20 years of experience, he spent time as a president of InCenter Portfolio, where he developed MSR hedge strategies, valuation models, and a platform known as MSRX. Uh, he's also had stops along the way in similar positions at U.S. Bank, J.P. Morgan, Merrill Lynch. Um, And he's got a scary list of degrees as well. Besides the the finance and econ degrees that you'd expect, he's also got one in applied science and in engineering. So uh, if we run out of things to talk about in the mortgage business, he can help us redesign some ventilators or something before the call is over. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's too funny. Ken, uh, Ken's a former colleague of mine from Guaranteed Mortgage Corp. Uh, and I can tell you while I was there, didn't matter how many folks we had around the table, he was always the smartest guy in the room. He currently serves as their EVP of uh, capital markets for FGMC with a re- responsibility over revenue generation, revenue optimization. He also oversees secondary marketing, market management, uh, margin management, rather, bulk trading, acquisition, sales. Uh, to give you an idea how big of a beast Ken wrestles with every day, uh, last year FGMC did somewhere between 5 and $6 billion in uh, agency and, and Jenny May loans. And I know he's got 20 years in the in the business besides for people like Capital One, Bank of America. Uh, and if it, if that wasn't enough, he's also, if I remember correctly, he's a, he was a CPA with the uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers back in the day. So um, we can get him to do our taxes before this is all over as well. Uh, Rob Chrisman is on the Sounds line. Sounds like it's going to be a long meeting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Rob doesn't need any introduction. He's known around the country for uh, making his morning commentary on the mortgage business and the economy that everyone I know in the business reads every day. Uh, he began his career in capital markets 35 years ago and his background includes hedging pipelines, running a small subprime company, consulting uh, for more companies than I could list in an hour, and serving on various uh, boards as a director of several uh, financial services company. And uh, last but not least, we got uh, Matt uh, Maurer, uh, he's a senior director at Mountain View Financial Solutions, uh, which is a one of the Citus AMC companies. And full disclosure, uh, Citus AMC is our due diligence provider and they're extraordinary. Uh, Matt's responsible for providing advice on residential mortgage servicing rights, whole loan sales, portfolio evaluation, consults on finance facilities. Uh, and before that, he was doing MSR valuation at Mountain View and spent some time at Clayton Fixed Income and, and Matrix Asset Management. And um, and he's also got all those finance and econ degrees in his, uh, in his holster as well. So uh, for me, this is like... Um, 
walking through Cooperstown today, if you're a mortgage geek, because we got a Hall of Fame panel here that's assembled. And uh, uh, John and I had put together some questions about the mortgage business. And I thought just to make sure that uh, we got everyone's opinion on, on these various questions, I thought what I'll do is I'll throw the question out, I'll target it at one of you guys, and then uh, uh, once you're done, we'll go around the room and see if anyone's got to add, and I'll just start at a different uh, place on the roll call every time we go around. So the uh, first question I've cooked up is for Al, and uh, I'll start there. Uh, Al, I know you have a very difficult job, and but this is the one week out of the year where I feel like I could do it. If I'm doing MSR evaluation, I feel like if I just put a zero on everything, I'm probably pretty close to the right answer. So I was hoping you could start off the discussion by telling us how the servicer's burden of having to make scheduled scheduled payments to bondholders, how and then the government's promise that people will have their payments forgiven, how those two things are clashing and, and how they're affecting uh, how you do your job. Um, you know, thanks for the question. Um, and, and what I'd say is that uh, there's a fair amount of uncertainty uh, just generally in the, in, the, uh, in the MSR market, whether you're originating loans uh, or you're, you're buying loans or, or you're retaining loans um, or you're an investor. What's the price? What's the right price? Right. And so some of that comes down to, you know, what you're willing to pay, uh, what your return targets are. If you're a bank, how do you look at float, right? Like with, uh, with the Fed cutting uh, rates uh, as, as much as they have, uh, the, the float value of MSR, all else being equal, has come off pretty significantly. You know, we spent a lot of time looking at forbearance for investors and for banks and trying to figure out what that really means. Um, I think the... Uh, I think what... You know, from, from our perspective at our firm, uh, you know, the, the levers are, okay, what do we think the liquidities are going to do? What do we think the cash requirements going to do? Uh, where do we think the cost of funds uh, and liquidity uh, that's going to be required to advance, uh, as you said, uh, based off various remittance schemas? Um, what is that going to do? Um, and, uh, and putting that all together, there's just a lot of uncertainty, right? So uh, the way we're approaching it from the point of view of, of valuation is being very thoughtful around um, how to look at product, right? So I would say that uh, newly originated product, uh, believe it or not, um, has uh, garnered interest um, with regard to uh you know, some of those factors, right? Let's put float aside. Um, let's put delinquency aside. Um, if you if you think about the borrowers that will be likely closed in the next 60 to 90, 180 days, those are borrowers that quite likely have a, a very uh, strong profile. So I would say that uh, for newly originated product or a product that's in pipelines, um, there, there could be uh, a substantial uh, reason 
um, for 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 kind of liquidity tiering. Um, it, for, for, it is it fair to it is it fair to say that um, with the rates where they're at, that um, maybe you've gotten a better looking prepay speed than maybe you've had in a long time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the other, you know, if if I'm an investor, right, and it comes down to what's my cost of funds and what's my liquidity profile. Forget about the mortgage origination community, right? Uh, yeah. Which is which is the whole other piece, like where are they willing to sell? Um, you know, leverage is harder to come by. Uh, a number of uh, warehouse line providers and or uh, a number of the the uh, financiers that provide capital to private capital uh, and investors um, have uh, have slowed down a little bit, uh, but yeah. that. Notwithstanding, that's driving a price point um, for for uh, for people to to for for those private investors to to drive at a price where they feel that the risk and return profile um, looks uh, look, looks reasonable, right? And so what what yeah. we're we're doing a lot of is looking back to 08, looking at uh, almost as as best as we can, like for like paper, looking at that profile. And then seeing what the all-in returns look like for investors. The other piece of that, to your point, is, hey, what does the opportunity look like uh, as we hit generational lows in, um, in, in, the, in the treasury market? Um, you know, where do we see the, the bottom, um, uh, you know, to pick a bottom um, in primary rate? And what does that mean if you own an MSR that's roughly in that neighborhood, right? Um, if you yeah. put the delinquency piece aside, right, again, and the forbearance piece aside, that that looks like something that could be pretty attractive uh, just given the rate story. And depending upon whether you're a U person in terms of recovery or you're a V person in terms of recovery or whether you're an L person in terms of recovery. <laughs> Fair enough. Ken Torrey, I'm going to call you out with basically the same question, but what I'd love to have you put your spin on it is in your unique position as a company that First Guarantee does servicing, has that ability to, to service stuff, and may, as, as uh, Alan points out, may find a point where um, – there's there's a return on investment that you can see. Uh, I would also love to have you add the spin of how long can you close mortgages that seemingly have very little MSR value today? How many of those can you pack into your servicing portfolio before uh, uh, before you say, hey, I, I, that, that's all I have the capital for, or or how many, uh, or does it change how much money you need to make at closing in order to acquire these rights? Yeah. Uh, no, that's a, that's a fair, fair question, Jerry. I, I'll just start by saying this, that, that you know, when, when at, uh, in my seat, um, I look at, try to weigh the value of the, um, you know, the MSR asset um, in, in, from the standpoint of, of net present value of cash flows versus what, what can I get for it on the, you know, if I were to sell it today. Now, granted, because the MSR market in itself is a bit in flux right now as a result of, you know, regulatory changes um, due to the COVID-19 crisis, it presents us with this unique challenge in order to manage. And, this, and, and although, although we have the ability to retain these loans, uh, you know, today and, you know, um, 
and, and actually can retain them at a very reduced cost basis. Um, we're, we're also looking at some of our liquidity risks. So if I can, if you would, if you'd, um, sorry, I'd like to, you know, just kind of describe, I, I'm dealing with two, two major uh, bookend uh, liquidity, li liquidity risk uh, components. One is the margin call risk uh, that, that, that we have to pay because we, you know, hedge our pipeline, we hedge our, 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 our report. And so, you know, we're subject to this, these margin calls. And, and, and as Al pointed out, you know, the, the Fed came in and they started doing, you know, started doing quantitative easing again. So they're buying up bonds like crazy, which has driven the market prices up the, uh, and yields down. And as a result of that, you know, we're, we've been subjected to an, an, an ever-increasing um, margin call exposure on the on the TBA hedge derivative side. On the MSR portfolio side, uh, the problem or the challenge we have is that you know when we look at our our, our rep and warrants with Fannie, Freddie, and even you know Ginny May with respect to advance payments on default and forbearance, there's no guidance right now from Fannie or Freddie as to how they're going to handle um, early payment default. Uh, risk for us if, if a borrower elects to 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 opt into this forbearance so not so so now we, we because we, we it's a moving target we can't really um, we don't really have a way to figure what that exposure is liquidity wise plus um, you know and then plus the the liquidity that we need we would need in order to make advanced payments the two together makes it so that I really don't have an incentive to want to hold them on my books yeah that makes perfect sense. Uh, thank you. Uh, Matt, uh, I'd love to spin the same question to you, uh, but I'd like to add this, uh, your perspective. One of the things that Al brought up was um, that, you know, for banks that have access to uh, uh, Fed funds that are at zero, uh, you know, you, you could uh, it wouldn't be hard to move to some situation where you've got an, uh, a profit spread there. I'm thinking that answer is different if you're a non-bank and don't have access to funds that cheap. Uh, this picture might look a little bit differently where, uh, you know, can you speak to that at all? Yeah. So um, just to, to add a couple comments and then I'll, then I'll jump in on that. Um, you know, uh, so just uh, talking to a lot of folks, uh, kind of large money center banks, uh, folks with big uh, portfolios, uh, about three to five percent of the borrowers so far have reached out for uh, forbearance. Um, of that, that doesn't mean they're all going to get it. A lot of them don't understand. Um, you know, people think it's you're, you're just getting free money. Um, it, you, it's just going to be uh, kind of a modification, or the the, the payments will be just uh, stuck onto the back end of the loan. So um, it, it's not like they're able to live in the in the homes for free. It's just they're uh, able to de delay the payments. So when that happens, that's going to delay the, or reduce the amount of folks that decide to do it. Um, a lot of the concern, though, is if it's you know three to five percent a day after what could be an ugly April, what's the number going to be by the end of the month? And and as this continues, what's the percentage going to be? Um, various estimates on how many, what the forbearance uh, levels are going to be. I'm definitely not the person to be telling you what that number is going to be because I have no clue. Um, yeah. But that's really what's causing the issue, and so. It's going to mainly or probably affect the Ginny May market a lot more. If you look at kind of low FICO Ginnies, a 640 FICO Ginny May borrower, um, it's, you know, in the best of times, 15 to 20% of those borrowers will probably go to fault. So, you know, the question is, what's that going to be? 
today. So uh, a lot of clients need to be very careful um, as far as the, you know, if we're talking about multiples, well, if, you know, we're thinking 3% of the 760 borrowers will go to delinquent in the best of times and we double it, that's six. But if we, if it was 15, 20% and we double it, obviously that means, you know, 30, 40% of the, the borrowers could be delinquent. Uh, if that's the case, obviously that's not a servicing rate you want to own. Um, there are financing facilities available. Um, you know, the government uh, will assist uh, where needed. Um, P&I, I have a lot of concern about T&I advances uh, for conventional and govy and a lot of, you know, I know everyone's out there pushing to get more uh, help from the government uh, on, on the T&I advance front. So that's obviously putting downward pressure on, uh, on, on kind of both conventional and, and government pricing. Um, you know, what we'll probably see and what we've seen you know, when we have these type of markets is the first market that's going to come back is your clean conventional. Um, my guess is higher FICO, lower LTV, or, uh, and that'll be the first thing that comes in. Uh, more than likely banks will be the ones coming in. Right now, a couple of the mortgage REITs are not in a position to spend in cash. Uh, they have cash going out. So they're kind of slowed down the market. And, you know, that's created a lot of the supply demand uh, dynamics on top of the issues we have about the, you know, what is the risk related to forbearance and future defaults. So um, the pricing you're seeing in the market is a little bit of uh, fear and uh, guys just being able to who be opportunistic where they're just, you know, packing or buying servicing cheaper because they can because there's no other outlet. So, um, you know, we're thinking in the long run, it's going to be a very good investment to hold. Especially right now, if you're implied SRP is, you know, 10, 20 basis points on conventional servicing. It takes a lot of delinquencies to, to get to the point where your the value of your MSR is not worth 10, 20 basis points. Uh, yeah. Be more careful on the Ginny May side. Um, but, you know, still, if you're not getting paid much of value on, on high FICO Ginny's, uh, probably not a bad trade. Um, also, what's uh, unique about the Ginny May side, if you have a, uh, if you're the servicer, the borrower calls in and says, I want forbearance. Um, and you know, you now have someone that's reached out to you and you can talk to and you can tell them, well, you know, I, I, uh, you know, if I give you forbearance, you know, you're technically going to be delinquent. I can't refi you. Um, but I, I can give you a stick you into a three and a quarter and two and three, three quarter kind of note rate, no cost refinance. Um, you know, that two and three quarters going into two and a half at a one Oh four price, the, you know, three is going into, you know, three and a quarter is going into three at one Oh six. Uh, it could be very profitable for, for the servicers to kind of offset some of the pain they're going to have in the other spectrum with uh, delinquency, you know, cost of service and, um, you know, uh, advanced costs. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Rob, we haven't heard from you yet, so any comments you have on that, but I'd also like to throw an additional question at you. Um, I'm uh, hearing high-level stuff about REITs that were up until recently a really big player in, in uh, especially in the non-QM side and the asset-based side. Um, and I'm seeing scenarios where highly leveraged REITs were uh, felt like they were suffering two things. One, uh, investors wanting to redeem their shares um, and um, margin calls on leveraged parts of their portfolios. It, uh, it, it feels like going back to stories I read in the 1930s for uninsured banks that were having run on the banks. And I'd be interested in your perspective on that piece of the business as well. 
Yeah, I don't know about the 1930s. I was I thought you were going to mention 2008, 2009, 2010, that, that time <laughs> period. Uh, I mean, you summed it up nicely in your question. That That's exactly what's going on. And the... Uh, I don't. I don't want to necessarily say this industry has a, uh, in, uh, you know, a ten-year memory and a twelve-year business cycle business, but the fact of the matter is, some of the issues we're seeing now are very, very similar to what we saw in 2007, 2008. Unfortunately, uh, uh, for for the industry and unfortunately for the borrowers, they're the ones who get caught up in it because uh, of what we're seeing now and and the. The thing that I'm seeing, one of the things that I'm seeing among many, is we are are we have seen in the last, you know, three weeks or a month, uh, things that took several months, if not more than a year, to unravel or develop in 2008 with regard to the primary markets and the secondary markets. And here, I mean, the the the, the speed of change has been lightning quick. And I don't know how CEOs and originators and so forth are keeping up with with all the news that's getting thrown at them now, uh, whether it's in the primary markets with uh, investors uh, leaving the jumbo market and impacting, you know, that or uh, as Matt was just talking about the servicing market before that was the non-QM market. And it's certainly a, a great lesson for originators and for everybody in the industry to, it's a reminder that the the investor makeup and the capital markets and the secondary market really influence rate sheets. So you, you asked about REITs and so forth, and I think a lot of people don't see the uh, you know the demand that REITs have for the product, especially when the Fed comes out and says, well, we're going to buy you know x x billions per day or per week of mortgage-backed securities, and people um, kind of like kind of think, all right, that's great. Um, but you're, you're right to bring up the REITs and, and some of the issues that they're having. And, and you summed up the issues. They're, they're seeing margin calls. They're seeing selling uh, of their shares. They're seeing uh, a tremendous amount of uncertainty, which has been mentioned uh, uh, in this session about the future. And there's always uncertainty about the future. But I will say that the rate of change is what has caught everybody by surprise and it's almost uh, matched by, or it is matched by, the uncertainty of what's going on, what's causing it. You know, the, the health concerns around the world and in this nation and in different parts of this nation, which is, uh, which is, you know, created the environment that we're in now. So the REITs are certainly part of it, but only part of it. Um, I would say the the uncertainty is is across the industry, whether you're you know, a lowly originator all the way up to CEOs of, uh, of major lenders. And, and in terms of uh, uh, the regulatory issues that we're seeing out there, that adds, you know, another layer of complexity because I know the CFPB came out recently and said, well, you know, you know, here's how we want you to handle reporting delinquencies um, or forbearance on credit reports. And, and some people accuse the CFPB of, of being Nero, you know, fiddling while Rome burns, you know, why, you know, people are dying in the streets and the CFPB <laughs> is worried about credit reports. Um, and and I, I, I certainly see that and agree to it to some extent, but this industry, 
uh, you know, has seen has seen such a it's a, it's an entirely different market than it was a month or a month and a half ago. You know, we went into 2020 and everybody was was happy and volumes were good and pipelines were full and rates were low. And, and suddenly we're we encounter this uh, this virus that nobody foresaw uh, coming and impacting the world economy like uh basically turning on a switch or turning off a switch. And I think that that has caused everybody uh, a lot of surprise and a lot of concern. And when people are surprised or concerned, or there's a lot of uncertainty, they tend to hunker down and managers of REITs are no exception. So they're hunkering down, the non-QM investors hunkering down, servicing buyers hunkering down, uh, and now Jumbo um, doing the same thing. So we have this huge change and um, you know, the almost the only thing that we haven't seen so much uh, in terms of in terms of change are the agency products, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they haven't really done too much in the primary markets and they've addressed the forbearance question, I think pretty quickly. And that helped settle the market down. So you have a lot of lenders out there who are focused on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Now you have investors of agency looking at agency paper, uh, waiting for the Ginny May things to settle down, as Matt was talking about. Um, but it is it's just, it's soup to nuts change across the industry. And like I said, I, I'm surprised people have a chance to even sit back and, and think about it and think about all the changes that have taken place. Um, it's really amazing. So, yeah. No, it's a great answer, and uh, I was going to summarize your answer from a line from the movie Anchorman that uh, that escalated quickly. Uh, so uh, that's what I feel like it. You you went from zero to sixty two weeks time, and uh, and that's where we're at now. Al, I'm going to circle the one of the questions that Rob started uh, uh, hinting at going in this direction. So I'm going to take that hint. Um, Obviously, uh, one of the things that Fannie and Jenny have for it is a guaranteed execution so that if we if we find a borrower who wants to go ahead with a refinance or a purchase, uh, they you know we know that uh, there's a buyer at uh, Jenny May or Fannie Mae, whether it's in a bond or a cash window or whatever. Um, and it looks like the, the early indications are that warehouse banks are going to uh, restrict lending in a lot of cases to those things that have guaranteed execution. Are you able to speak at, on that at all about what it's going to take or what we'll have to go through before warehouse banks would reopen up to something other than just uh, a paper government stuff? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, listen, uh, when I look at the uh, the TBA market, um, it's got like a one hundred four, one hundred five dollar price, right? Um, the the amount of of volatility that we've had <clears throat> in the TBA market has driven, uh, as as Rob pointed out, a number of, and you pointed out, a number of these these margin calls. Um, you know, it's one of these things that, um, you know, ultimately, you know, it comes down to um, almost like a survivor bias that uh, a number of um, of these warehouse banks uh, and, and mortgage lenders have, which is uh, if if uh, if we start to get into a period where the market isn't moving, uh, you know, a point in 10 year notes a day, that's 
you know, that's the start of something better, right? And we we started to see that, right? So all of a sudden, um, if I can if I can get liquidity in TVAs, um, you know, obviously the Fed buying helped some aspect of it, but it also created the unintended consequence on the other side of driving TBA spreads uh, uh, and prices uh, to the moon. So I th- it feels like a uh, demonstrated uh, uh, drop in the actual realized volatility that we're seeing makes everybody feel better. It makes originators feel better. It makes their warehouse lenders feel better. And by the way, it also probably makes uh, the prospective homeowners or borrowers that are taking out those loans feel better. So I think it comes back to uncertainty creates more uncertainty. Uh, a number of these things that that my colleagues have uh, been talking about with regard to potential um, avenues that the Fed could step in uh, or the Treasury could step in to, to provide like an advanced facility, et cetera, um, <clears throat> or um, or some sort of way for for uh, for warehouse banks to uh, to potentially uh, mitigate some of the uh, um, you know the margin risk that they have. There needs to be something else in addition to lower volatility to kind of rectify the fear in the market. That's an interesting solution because I think what I heard you say is if you can warehouse banks feel a little bit better, um, perhaps they're not as strict or not looking for that guaranteed execution. Can uh, can you jump in on that? And especially from your perspective, um, have the last couple weeks affected uh, any kind of uh, warehouse uh, capacity on your end uh, in any way that you can share without um, without pulling us behind the curtains? Yeah, sure. So um, the, the one the one major the one major I'd say um, elephant in the room is the non-QM. Um, lines that you know, warehouse banks have, for the most part, ceased to fund anything, and it was uh, it was done in. Uh, Rob kind of mentioned that 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 the ferocity of, of which this market changed um, was was so head spinning that uh, you didn't know if you were going left or going right, and very you know. Uh, j- just like that much ferocity, the warehouse banks also just in a, in, a, in the span of one day um, shut down the, you know the non-QM of sublines that most companies, even lar- the larger you know the larger aggregators like ourselves, uh, would, you know were faced with uh, the fact that we can no longer fund uh, you know a non-QM loan. So 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 so. That was the that was the biggest change to our warehouse banks, and then you know for for us we don't we we have you know a, we have good capacity for the agency bulge that we're experiencing despite all of the 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 uncertainties that my colleagues and I have spoken about. Uh, we are still uh, bringing you know we are still originating uh, you know a fair amount of of volume every single day. And we, you know, which is, you know, again, continuing to expose us to risk. Uh, uh, Matt had alluded to the fact that uh, that lenders have have tacked on a lot of margin to help, 
each stem volume because you know now we're faced with capacitalization issues too with with you know trying to close these loans and um and the fact that of the uncertainty we're trying to we're trying to we're trying to stave off production because we don't know what the value of the uncertainty is so we're doing our best guesstimate and in order to price loans in a, in such a way to price loans to to you know eliminate eliminate MSR exposure uh, add for uh, delinquency default exposure um, advanced payment exposure etc uh, but despite all of that we are still getting that volume in and you know and, and as I look at our warehouse capacity and, and I think this is going to be the same for many companies because again um, because of liquidity liquidity constraints warehouse banks are going to probably deleverage the 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 lenders like ourselves and so we're going to we're going to we're going to start seeing some of that strain as as loans start funding uh, and then the, if the credit markets don't change we we could you know non banks even in the agency market may experience some deleveraging as a result of of, of if the liquidity constraints that 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 are persistent now in the market if they, that doesn't change if regulators don't come in and step in and say hey we're, we got this uh, in some form of order or a regulatory change or a pause in a, in an existing reg, uh, regulation uh, I can see that constriction happen which will then put pressure on warehouse banks which would then which would then I think lead to uh, a lot of lenders pulling back uh, on 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 lending and originations. And that's a great answer. And can I follow up with this? Is it fair to say, since you have a uh, what I'm sounds like a crush of uh, conforming and, and and traditional volume? And uh, is it fair to say that you can? mark these up and at least make a good margin on the stuff you decide to do uh, to add to the point where uh, whatever business you can process, you're going to make good money on, uh, assuming that uh, you've got the uh, MSR value figured out or predicted somehow. Yeah, so the, exactly. And that's exactly what we're doing, Jerry. On, on top of that, um, we, we, are, we, we have crafted a, a, an overlay profile of loans that we will take and loans that we won't take. We have added a whole bunch of different overlays that are for us definitely is unprecedented in the, the government and the conventional. So for example, um, the, the way that the way, the way that I'm seeing it from the MSR uh, industry, anything above an 85 LTV on a conventional loan, irrespective of FICO, uh, we're, we're actually looking at that as that, that has potential negative MSR impacts to it. So we're actually um, adding uh, overlays or additional pricing to those types of cohorts. Another cohort is like the DTI greater than 45. We're saying, no, we're not going to take any, or you have to have a minimum FICO score, and there's a hit for that. So so, so we're looking at different attributes and saying, okay, um, you know, we have to price for that, number one. We have we have shrunk our 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 the universe of, of products and programs that we're willing to lend about two-thirds. And so, you know, so so if so, whatever loans we do get, we're 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 making you know a decent uh, a profit margin on it, and and the credit quality is is high enough to where we 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 think that we've we've at least reduced the liquidity exposure that I mentioned on 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 uh, or the bookend margin expo uh, liquidity exposure that I, I I mentioned earlier in this podcast. 
Fantastic. Now, uh, one guy that I passed over that I'm, I want to make sure is part of this conversation is my CEO, John Maddox. Uh, John, I know that you had questions about um, how we put this back together. Would you like to jump in and, and redirect some of the discussion we're having? Sure. Thanks, uh, Jerry. Everything's been uh, informative, and all this this stuff is is so deep. You know, a lot of us as region think of uh, how it affects you know our our one loan or the loans that were you know in our pipeline, and you know why why would these loans just all of a sudden not be able to be funded? There's no real you know crisis as it relates to credit right now, so it's hard to understand it for, for many people. And so I'm really thankful that everyone's, you know, going in deep on this stuff. Cause it, it's not just, uh, you know, the things that we think it is, it's, it goes deeper. Like we're talking about one of the things that I wanted to touch on is that I've been hearing from some of the big investment bankers is that there's about a, I want to say anywhere between a billion and maybe 3 billion of funded non QM loans that are on warehouse lines looking for a home uh, that, that, that there is no home uh, right now. So, you know, so, some are luckier than others. Some might have a $100 million, you know, uh, pile of non-QM loans on their warehouse line. Some, some might have $20 million, Some might have, you know, bigger. So some of the, some of the bigger uh, REITs, you know, are trying to, to free up capital. But what I've been hearing is that there's, you know, a lot of these these bigger groups out there that would, would come in and buy or rescue, you know, the, the, the guys that are, you know, stuck with these loans are, are circling kind of like vultures in a way and the opportunity to pick up deals in the 85 range or in the 90 range. So like 90 cents on the dollar, 92 cents on the dollar, you know, 88 cents on the dollar. There was a big trade that just happened for 85 cents on the dollar. I think it was about 800 million. Um, that happened last, uh, I think it was just settled Monday, this last Monday. But my question is, is, you know, let's say there's a billion, or let's say there's 2 billion of this. How long will it take to get through that at these discounts? And can some people hang on to, to say, you know, I know there's a squeeze warehouse lines only, you only have so much dwell time that you can keep your loans on the line. Uh, there's going to be a time when this stuff is all bought up at, at, you know, discount prices. And then at some point, you know, my thought is in kind of what I've been hearing is then they'll, they'll start to normalize the price uh, once all that's kind of gone through. And so it's, it's a matter of like, who's going to buy it, you know, and, and my question is who, who would buy it? These REITs, uh, a lot of them are strapped for cash going to buy it. You know, we've seen maybe some community banks look at buying non-QM. Um, you know, does anyone have any on to that, to that question is how long will it take to go through buying up maybe a billion dollars of non-QM loans online? How will that get, sort of process through the system. And then on the other side, you know, let's assume that this, you know, we all get back to work in a month or so or two months. Um, how long will it take for some, you know, without having a crystal ball, I guess we can all, all throw darts at a, at a dartboard with blindfolds on, but um, how, how long will this kind of take until there are some new products that are not just Fannie Freddie and, and stuff like that? Yeah, if it works, I'll, this is Matt. I'll, I'll take a shot at it. Like I said, a shot because you know, to your point, it's uh, you know, it's hard to project all this stuff. But um, 
I think everything you said is right. I mean, there was a read that sold 800 million at 85, and of course, that's what everyone looked at for about a week is the uh, why everything should trade at 85. Um, but you know, majority of sellers don't want to sell at 85, so um, you know, we're, we're you know, the ask is you know maybe not par anymore, but it's, but it's definitely not 85, and so there's probably some number in the middle where this this product will start trading. We're probably talking to eight to ten different guys that are all just on the fence, deciding if that now is the time to jump back in. Uh, some guys were preoccupied with quarter end, so we're hoping that now that quarter end's over, they'll be um, be able to put some uh, time and effort into it. Um, you know, one thing that I think what we're going to see is it's kind of moving. You know, as far as the orphan loans, we have the uh, full doc jumbos. You know, all the way down to you know the small amount of more subprimeish you know bank statement loans. Um, but majority of it's obviously, you know, very high quality non-QM loans with good down payments and, and, and good FICOs. And so, the, the, you know, eventually guys are going to come in and, and buy that stuff. Um, you know, how quickly guys come back into the low 90s to mid 90s and where we end up, uh, I can't tell you. Uh, I think some of it's going to be dependent, like you said, on, on how much pressure the warehouse banks put on guys to sell. Um, if they force you to sell, kind of like the seller at 85, um, it, it'll trade and trade at whatever level they can get, you know, at that day. Um, it's been trending up though. Uh, we're seeing more bids, uh, and discussions with a lot of accounts that are, are, you know, hopefully we're going to be in the low nineties. Here's, you know, the new norm instead of the mid eighties. That being said, you know, it's the first time in our, my career where I've seen guys actually ask for, uh, employment information on every tape. So they want to know, um, you know, do they own a jewelry store or do they own, you know, what is, are these self-employed borrowers on the non-QM side? You know, what do they do? And then they're going to make a, a judgment if they think that that person's going to, you know, be in trouble or not. And so, unfortunately, I think we're going to have some tales here that could be pretty ugly for, for owners, uh, of um, which you have Matt, borrowers. Yeah. Uh, Matt, you raised an excellent point, and I'd, I'd love to, to get anyone in the group to comment. Have you seen anyone yet putting overlays on product that is uh, employment-based in terms of uh, assumptions about the COVID impact, like if your bar was in the tourism industry or restaurant or you know, a touring musician, a comedian, anyone that needs an audience or a public gathering to make money? Have you seen anyone, has anyone in the group seen anyone putting overlays on possibly impacted industry sectors? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take it for, for what, uh, what it's worth. We, 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 uh, we traffic, um, you know, uh, certainly on, uh, as much as we can on, on a loan level and, um, <clears throat> rather than on a pool level. And, and the one thing that, that we would, uh, you know, caution banks from, um, and anybody who's, uh, regulated, um, uh, you know, versus say a private investor is just, just the thought process around fair lending constraints and, um, yep. and making sure you, uh, you, you stay, uh, as far away from, from any potential implication around potential industries, et cetera. Cause it starts to, okay. you know, it, it could potentially, um, taint, uh, taint you, uh, or your firm, um, you know, if, if somebody tries to take a very conservative view of it. I've, I've, I've seen uh, clowns bear the brunt of, uh, of discrimination out there. No, nobody likes clowns. Uh, and so aside from that, uh, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen anything uh, 
until that point, yeah, I would say it becomes a compliance issue. But, you know, the ability to repay uh, really is uh, kind of an all-encompassing thing that, that lenders can fall back on. And, uh, you know, if you are a, a, a nanny or a housekeeper or, you know, a, you know, some guy who does concert lighting or a musician, I mean, those, those people are really taking the brunt of, of a lot of this. Um, and the ability to repay, given given how things are now, I think is a uh, uh, is a determining factor in terms of whether or not the loan will be made. So, hey, if I could uh, if I could just jump in real quick, I just, just going back to John's question about non-QM, do we think that, or when do we think that it's going to come back in, and what is it going to look like? Um, what you know, we've been you know as our company is owned by a very large hedge fund, and um, uh, you know, talking with various other funds within the hedge fund family and other market makers, um, there's not very much optimism that the market, the nor- a normalized market, will happen anytime soon. Uh, maybe you know, definitively not this year. Uh, to Matt's point, there's a lot of inventory that still needs to uh, flush out of the market, which will take time. The other thing that no one's really taking into consideration is uh, HPI. If if th- there's a lot of uncertainties, right, that we've talked about, if these uncertainties don't go uh, uh, don't go unmet, um, I'm already seeing or reading from some of the Wall Street firms and some of the concerns around around HPI. And if if there are soft markets, you can bet that that the non-QM market will just be further exacerbated from, um, you know, a, a relaunch because when you think about the non-QM product, you've got credit and collateral, and uh, collateral is a big part. If, there, if, 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 if there's not a, if there's not a, if there's uncertainty around the collateral value, then no one's going to jump into that market because no one's going to want to buy that, that collateral because nobody really knows whether that collateral is sound. So I just wanted to point that out that, you know, we don't think that it's going to be anytime soon. And if it does, it is going to be, it is not going to be anywhere near what the non-QM market and product programs look like uh, three weeks ago. So I just wanted to make that commentary. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Matt. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, uh, just to kind of add to that real quickly. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of what we saw in the jumbo market when it, when it first came back, it, it went back to the, you know, 60 LTV max 70 LTV, and then it kind of creeps up and probably the same thing is going to happen here where it's going to be the, the highest quality borrowers first. Um, so it's going to be more the tier one programs, uh, the, you know, deep haven expanded prime type programs that will come back first and, and, um, and then as far as, you know, the other unknown, it really that, you know, a lot of our discussions are on is just the ability to securitize these and what, what's the demand going to be. Um, I'll say one thing about that is, is one, you know, if you've been mid nineties, it doesn't really matter what the spread is and you can securitize and make the math work. So I think that's going to help with pricing in the short term. Um, and then beyond that, uh, you know, on a go forward, um, you know, it's uh, so, you know, rates will probably be higher. Everything will be more conservative. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought there. I went on my own tangent and then forgot what I was going to say. Um, well, right. well, the bonds will go unrated. They'll be they'll be unrated, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, and I was going to pick on I'd like to remind everyone. Oh, just this is a quick aside. The uh, the CFPB is expected in May to come out with uh, a proposal for 
what is a non-QM or having the non-QM patch disappear and further differentiate QM versus non-QM. I would probably make the argument that a lot of investors and, and lenders are waiting uh, or will wait till at least, until at least that um, proposal is put forth before they jump back in. Because up until recently, you know, non-QM, depending on whether it was Deep Haven or Citadel or Sprout or, you know, Veras or whoever, uh, had different underwriting guidelines that investors had to figure out what what made sense to them and what didn't. Uh, and, you know, does, does one month's bank statement uh, create the ability to repay? Well, you know, that's, that's, you know, a question that's out there. So I think it, when the CFPB comes out and says, okay, here's, here's the difference between non-QM and QM, it's not 43% DTI anymore. Here are the determining factors, you know, reserves or payment history, whatever it is that they put forth. I think, like I said, I think a lot of people in the industry are waiting for that before they say, you know, this makes a lot of sense. I think this is something we could get behind and uh, uh, start buying originations again. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd throw out, too, that, uh, you know, I think the standardization, to your point, uh, Rob, I think that means a lot. I mean, whether it's it's a guideline or not, that that creates liquidity in and of itself, right? Um, you know, the other thing I, I just wanted to throw out there is like, unlike 08, this is a very different animal and that the losses and the repricing has happened before a dime of losses and the underlying has been taken. And it feels like just as... Um, this is, you know, the, the pain's been front loaded uh, in the capital markets and infrastructure and, and financing around the collateral. Remember, not one dollar of loss has been taken. Right. Uh, just as that's happened um, uh, on the way down, you know, if if and I'm not saying this is in any way foreseeable and I'm certainly not trying to uh, to paint uh, a very rosy picture here, but. I got to tell you, if if we do see some sort of, you know, rapid change or or manifestation around um, you know, some treatment or something of that form, it kind of feels like we could reprice just as quickly. Now, is it going to be as fast as 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 it was on the way down? Absolutely not. I don't think anybody on this call would expect that. But I think, you know, you asked about catalysts. I think this trade started with COVID um, and I think it's going to end with COVID. Um, and that's that's what we're all trying to handicap right now. Right. We're all on on uh, CNBC or CNN uh, watching, uh, you know, and Googling what is the next treatment that's coming down the pike. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, for me, front and center, like the catalyst, right? What happens what, with what's this? The, what's, the, well, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the panels over under on 4th of July being our Independence Day from COVID? I thought it was Easter. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's coming uh, up pretty quick. That's pretty quick. Uh, is is mid, midsummer too soon, or are we going to get out of the house by then? Yeah, I hope we're out of the house. Oh, yeah, leave it at that. Uh, you know, that's just trying to be optimistic. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I I hope we get out of the house. But we got we got to get back to work. I think that's going to be a huge turning point for at least people to get you know back to work in some fashion. Maybe it's not the entire country all at once back to work, but at least you know maybe it's a certain 
demographic or whatever it might be. But one of the thoughts I have is, is I uh, ran a mortgage company in up through 07 and we shut our doors in October. Um, And I think one of the points earlier, October of 07 points earlier was how fast this happened. And I remember the implodometer and just watching, you know, one by one, it took weeks and weeks low death of lenders, you know, dropping out the subprime lenders. And, uh, and then, you know, the first, the first stimulus didn't happen until February and it was a very small amount based around tax breaks and tax, you know, tax credits and things like that. And then, and then, you know, you fast forward about a year later, I think it was December that TARP happened and QE1, December of 08. So, you know, all that took about a year and there was such an oversupply of homes. There was people stuck in arms that, you know, couldn't refi, couldn't, couldn't sell because they were hundred percent LTV or, or more underwater. And, and I, I would, I would like to ask if we, if we know, maybe Rob, you know, this is what's the uh, kind of, what is the outlook on, you know, global like the global housing equity position of most people in the United States is there you know my thought is you know we've, we've got more equity than we've had in in 50 years in homes now or you know maybe that's not the number but um you know a lot of people today you know they, they care about their credit I think they also you know know they like a black swan thing this is a this is a an event that's happening to us that we are you know like the government says is this is a government you know, requesting people to not work. It's not people are lost their jobs because there just wasn't, you know, enough jobs. It's it's the opposite. And my question too is kind of, you know, since this happened so fast, could it possibly come back fast? Um, you know, being that it didn't drag out and have a slow death, is this kind of like a, you know, cardiac arrest that we can jolt the, the body back and then hopefully not a, not, a, not a ton of oxygen has been lost to the brain to where we can get things going again. But um, just want to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. And, and I my opinion is it has very little value. Uh, so I'll just uh, start off by saying that. It, the, I, I alternate, you know, some days I think that this is just going to drag on and drag on. And other days, I think this is like a, a defined chunk of time that our economy was doing very well. And all of a sudden, boom, here we are and everybody's sitting in their houses and working from home. And, and we're kind of doing this. And we've, you know, the, the housekeepers of the world and the massage technicians and, and, you know, the lighting coordinators of concerts or whoever. I mean, we're just kind of bumping along. And then when the all clear whistle blows, whenever that is, I think it, I'd like to think that it's just going to go because, you know, I want to bring back my housekeeper. I want to bring back my gardener. I want to get a massage. I want to go to concerts again. I want to, I want to go like to a restaurant and hold a menu and like sit at a table with other people in the restaurant. You know, I miss, I miss, I miss that stuff. And I, I think there's going to be here, man. pent up like, I, I, I honestly think that, but the question is, of course, when, you know, what is going to, what is going to be that all clear whistle that blows? I don't think it's going to be the, any, any politician saying, you know, come on out, jump on in, the water's fine. I don't think it's going to be that. I think it's going to be, you know, certain metrics that are met. Um, and I can, I think the, the whole world is waiting for metrics to be met and, and, and uh, the number of, um, 
you know, tests, the testing. I mean, just it's very complicated. So I like to think that at some point when, you know, the all clear whistle blows, our economy is just going to bounce back and property values along with them. You know, somebody who wanted a $300,000 house in on, you know, mid-February, they still want a three, they still want that house when, you know, this is over with. And I think that, I think the things, I like to think that things will bounce back pretty quickly. And the same thing with mortgages. I think that credit risk uh, in January and February, uh, which has been really knocked for a loop here in March, I like to think that those things will come back much more quickly than they did in 2008, 2010, 2012. I just, it is, it's a different, different crisis. My two cents. No, I like it. Um, just to add to that, I mean, the one thing I was going to say earlier was, uh, you know, we're going to finally have some you know, remittance data for some securities, and we're going to see how this product performs, uh, you know, in a higher unemployment environment, um, which we haven't had yet. It's always been historical low, you know, unemployment while, you know, this market's been taken off on the non-QM side. So it can be very interesting to see, you know, what, you know, Tal's point earlier about, you know, will we actually see a loan take a loss in a security? you know, um, and how much. And then of course, you know, as you look at the amount of OC that was required, was it, was it enough to even handle, you know, this big spike in, in unemployment? So, you know, there could definitely be some positives from, from the results there. If, if it's not as bad as, uh, you know, it's not worst case, uh, as far as future defaults for, for this, you know, this product. And if it is better than expected, then yeah, um, I think it does come back faster. Um, you know, uh, so, so, uh, and, and, you know, and another thing it's, you know, people were worried about paying 104 for loans because of the speeds we were seeing. Well, you know, I don't think prepayment speeds are going to be the issue in the short term. So, you know, that's another positive. So, so there are going to be some uh, data points that are they're going to help the market. Um, and, you know, it, it'd be very interesting to see what the delinquencies are going to be uh, over the next couple of months in these securities. And I was interested in everyone on the panel in, in various answers that you gave. Um, uh, I never thought I'd be in a situation where we're using 2007 logic as the model for our behavior and a, a comparison, but it seems like it's been helpful at different steps in the discussion. Um, I'd be interested to know um, the, probably the, the bigger elephant in the room for non-QM specifically is we still have some fairly large companies out there that uh, depended on securitization of non-QM loans to replenish their funds and, and make a liquid market there. Um, seeing how long uh, private money securitizations took to recover from 2007 uh, till when they when we finally saw them uh, in the light of day again. Any speculation from anyone on the panel on, on how long that process might take again? Well, if you if you remember back in 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 uh, March of uh, '09, I, I, if I recall it correctly, was the bottom in equities in terms of risk. Um, obviously, I'm not calling a, a bottom in equities in terms of you know this past past down trade, but like simultaneous to that, and I think um, you know one of the panels brought this up previously was um, you know TALF. And and some of the things that the uh, federal government brought forward to to kind of help um, the you know some of the, the more uh, beleaguered paper uh, kind of flow through the the system 
and it, those ended up being generational trades, right? Like the guys who bought at the lows in 09 made piles of money. And, and, you know, a number of them, I think um, if, if they're still around or in various incarnations, will probably look in a very similar way based off the delinquency data and maybe looking through the delinquency data. Once we get uh, some sort of clarity on this, on this, uh, on this current, you know, COVID, uh, situation and and say right like you know what just happened what just happened was we went through a period where leverage got repriced right the msr lines uh warehouse lines uh margin calls all of those were all about um risk being repriced okay great that happened uh asset prices have been repricing in the meantime what what is arguably already happening, unlike 08, is the fact that you've seen the federal government step in with leverage programs. You've seen the Fed step in uh, with leverage programs. I don't think they're done yet. And I think they're going to continue. And I think what's being set up is, you know, again, like we were back in 08, 09, you know, this wall of worry that we're climbing up slowly but surely, I think at the end of it is a, uh, you know, our, our potential um, opportunities for investors, um, uh, opportunities for originators that are well capitalized and have the liquidity um, and, um, and, and, you know, with, with regard to the overall economic backdrop, right. It's not that bad. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to be the first one to get a wall of worry t-shirt uh, made up for everyone on the panel. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's the, the new catchphrase. Well, uh, we've been asking all the questions. Is there um, anyone on the panel that would like to ask this esteemed panel a question before we wrap this thing up? So I, I have a question. I got so, one. It, oh, okay. Um, yeah, you go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say, um, you know, one of the things that we've been thinking through is the fact that, you know, as borrowers kind of lock and any borrowers kind of on a go forward basis in the backs of our mind, um, likely have much better credit, right? And likely have a much better profile. And, and the assets that are being created off of and around them likely have um, a very interesting profile. So, yes, we've had a repricing of uh, of risk. Right. But those borrowers, those new borrowers that are likely to close in the next 180 days, I kind of feel like they'll be really good borrowers to own. Right. I mean, that's our story. I'd love to hear from you guys who are making loans, who are underwriting loans. What like are you seeing that? Like, do you feel the same way? I think, Jerry, you can answer that. You, you know what? Um, my answer will be skewed a little bit because of the channel and the space that John has us in, which is Jumbo and Super Jumbo. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, it has been the pinnacle of 25 years of me doing underwriting management and underwriting operations. I've seen so many beautiful borrowers in that space because to your point, not everyone can afford a million or two million or three million dollar property. So I get a steady diet of gorgeous collateral, mm -hmm. uh, very reasonable LTVs. You know, uh, I think uh, 
our typical blocks of mortgages would have uh, weighted LTVs in the low 70s or high 60s. We'd have FICOs up in the uh, mid 700s. Um, We'd have great amount of reserves. So I've I've been blessed for the last 20 months I've been with the company to just sit every day and, and look at beautiful pieces of real estate and extraordinary borrowers. So we already had a steady diet of people that unless their business is somehow destroyed by this disease in such a short term, uh, I, I have confidence everyone, every loan I touched in the last 20 months is, is got the ability to pay for and pay and pay and pay. Um, I know that there's other players in non-QM that gravitated towards uh, the, the lower FICO bucket or higher LTVs. And, I, I, you know, they, they may have a tougher time of it. Um, but even, yeah, uh, even post COVID and even deals that are crossing my desk in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. They're fit in a box that, that looks really good. Um, and you know, with the FICO's there, the, the LTV is conservative, the, the reserves are there and they are no brainer loans to underwrite. I love that. Yeah, no, that's a great story for you too. Right. Um, and, and getting back to your earlier question, uh, John, I think, uh, you know, if, if we're, if nothing changes, uh, at the very least, uh, you're creating some very nice story bonds and that puts you in a, in a great position. Yeah. Maybe we should, when we send out our tape is put a nice, uh, cover audio tape with Jerry's soothing voice to tell the story about these loans. <laughs> uh, my, my question, cause I know we've all been in this business a long time. Um, and something that I've, I've thought that was going to happen. And, and I've, I've told friends of mine for the last three years that, you know, there's going to be another black swan event. Uh, I think there's going to be a stock market crash. Something's going to happen. In my mind, I thought it was going to be very similar to 9-11. And I didn't know what it was. Didn't know, you know, um, just thought, you know, history repeats itself or history rhymes and things happen. And, and, and so kind of the way it played out in my mind was that after this black swan event happened, say, let's call it 9-11, there was, that was the one, right? So then, you know, time went on and then 02, 03, 04, 05, there was a massive, uh, there was some deregulation. There was some, a lot of money that went into product creation and expansion. And so my thinking was along the lines that if this happened, if the stock market crashed, if there was a black swan event, then, you know, we would see something similar. It wouldn't be exact, but it'd be kind of reminiscent or, you know, it, it would rhyme in the way where money would seek more, you know, mortgage safety. There'd be more money coming after product. There'd be product expansion, you know, because the to Jerry's point, he just said, we've seen a lot. And I think a lot of non-QM loans have had it fairly credit, uh, credit profile, you know, uh, equity wise, credit score wise, you know, we're, we're analyzing their bank statements. We're looking intimately at these people's income. We see their cash flows. We see what they're doing. We're not going off of a W2 that they got last year and maybe a, you know, a tax return from the year before and maybe a PL or something. We're going from like day to day, real time information. Um, my, my thought is that what would be different now, let's say a year from now or six months from now, uh, from what happened after 9-11 when all of a sudden 
you know, this product expansion came and, you know, we started seeing crazy type of loans come out in 03, 04, 05 and a huge boom. And, and I'm just curious, is there, am I crazy to think that this could happen again in our country where there's, you know, deregulation with product and then there's some product expansion or is that, is that something that is possible? Do you think that's even maybe likely over the next several years to, to come? Well, if, if, I mean, you've seen that Basel three's kind of been rolled back. Right. And, and, you know, that was kind of like, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that for a whole host of reasons, but you know, if you go back to Oh one, um, and, and the, the, you know, the CDO machine and the fact that, uh, anybody and, and their sister who had a pulse could get a loan because that, that product was being put into a ABS CDO, uh, and being, being, uh, carved up as triple a, uh, and sitting on a bank's balance sheets, right. Or a bank's balance sheet. Uh, that to me just seems so different from where we are now. And like, I, I literally wrote about this the other day that, you know, we've gone full circle. We went from, um, you know, post 0809 Dodd-Frank where we said, okay, um, <clears throat> let's make the capital rules and, uh, you know, um, risk-taking rules so punishing so that we'll move into the non-bank uh, system. Right. And, you know, you had the uh, the uh, development of the CFPB and, uh, you know, massive amounts of regulation of the bank sector. So it all got moved into non-banks. Then you had like a 500 year flood black swan event like you just described. And so then what happened after that? Uh, COVID-19. You know, if, 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 by the way, somebody forecasted COVID-19, uh, I hope they, uh, they start a fund someday. Cause that's, that's just unbelievable. Right. Um, but then, you know, then yesterday you have this news that, you know, the regulators are going to play a wait and see, you know, um, that to me is just unthinkable on so many levels, uh, just given the path dependence of, of where we've come. So to me, it really is all about that. It's like, you know, we had uh, September 11th, we had that black swan event. We had a, a, uh, an increase in leverage driven by, you know, the, uh, the CDO machine and, uh, and a fed funds rate that was kept at one forever. Um, massive amounts of leverage in the system, uh, but banks let it. This time, non-banks have let it, and banks are have much better balance sheets, um, you know, and 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 yet still, you know, the regulators are behind the eight ball. Uh, it just feels like, to me, it's it's about the pace of regulation. It's about ensuring that, um, you know, the the, uh, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury don't pick winner winners and losers, particularly through a crisis like this. And and candidly, I'm I'm looking for them to backstop the servicing community, right? Um, because that 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 allows them to make all of this work. Can I throw one squirrely idea out there? And this room would know whether I'm nuts or whether um, there's merit in it, but. Um, it seems like the cost of servicing loans um, has just risen every year. Besides the software, the amount of uh, routines and stops and waiting periods you've got built into this waterfall of, of servicing solutions. And it 
doesn't seem like servicers have had a raise in 60 years. Uh, uh, and, it, and it seems like there's talk and, and trends out there to talk about cutting servicing margins, which to me seems crazy. Is, is servicing overdue for a range in that little strip that they make on, on mortgage notes? Well, the, the strip itself, um, you know, I think you could probably make some arguments that 19 basis points in this environment might not be enough for a servicing strip for both FICO, FHA loans. But um, for the most part, you know, that's still stressing that pretty, pretty, it takes a lot of delinquencies to, to make that. So it's not worth anything. Um, and there's a lot of ancillary benefits to being a servicer and having access to the borrower, um, especially on the Ginny May side where, uh, you know, if you're able to recapture and refi those guys after 210 days, you can make a lot of money. Um, so yes, there's going to be cost adjustments. Um, I think we've seen it kind of go up a little bit. I think subservicing costs have gone up maybe a dollar over the last, you know, five, six years, um, you know, per loan per month, a dollar per loan per month. And and so we're starting to see that, uh, guys are, you know, putting in, uh, more costs for, for, you know, defaults and, and at this point forbearance and, um, you know, I have to admit, I haven't done a ton of research on what uh, subservicing subservicers are charging for forbearance because it hasn't been an issue until recently. Um, but, you know, they're, they're going to be compensated on the delinquent loans, and, and a lot of times that's profitable business for them, even though it's a lot of work, just the way they, they structure their subservicing agreements. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, you know, if costs keep rising, then the offered, you know, no one's going to offer people a term sheet that they can't make money on. So, you know, you'll see it creep up. Um, you know, it's definitely not rewarding or fun business to be a servicer, and especially now. Um, so you could definitely see upward pressure. Uh, it seems like there's margins right now that are big enough that, you know, I think the owners, uh, the guys that are outsourcing can probably handle a little bit of increase in cost. So, yeah, we'll probably see that. Um, you know, another thing I just want to note, just, you know, because I agree with everything else said, uh, you know, if we look at what really is subprime, it's really just FHA these days. You know, that's the only product. If you look at non-QM products and you even look at the, you know, the lower tier stuff, um, you know, none of that's 96 and a half LTV, you know, 665 weight average FICO with a ton below 640 upper, you know, upper 40 DTIs. You know, the government is really the only one that's, you know, supporting the subprime market right now. Um, it will be curious to see if they still want to support the subprime market, and they probably will because they want to get, you know, people in the homes, um, and that probably won't go away. But, you know, we've never – no one really came back outside of, you know, FHA to do these loans. So good news is there's less, you know, stressed borrowers out there that, you know, probably shouldn't have got a loan in the first place than there was, you know, the housing crisis, so that should help us. Um, and I just don't, you know, there's no investor demand for that stuff, even when, you know, two months ago. So, uh, you know, I don't, to, to Don's question, I don't see that coming back other than if it's government supported. All right. Well, we're in the last uh, six minutes of the call. Uh, I'll do one last call for questions. Otherwise, uh, I, I can't thank you enough for the time you spent on the phone today. Uh, John, anything you'd like to say before we get out? No, I mean, uh, um, I I know that uh, I enjoy every morning reading Rob's report. So um, if he wants to end it with anything, any thoughts, I'd, I'd, I'd greatly appreciate that. Awesome. Nothing like a little pressure. Uh, well, I would, I would say, um, 
that the fact of the matter is since since the dawn of time people want to borrow money and there are people who want to lend money and they meet at a certain rate a certain price a certain collateral level whatever it is the conditions are met and and money is lent and money is borrowed <clears throat> and i think that your listeners need to remember that uh, we aren't going away. The industry isn't going away. And in fact, I think uh, this industry is remarkable. And, um, you know, we all thought 2019 was going to be just this horrendous year and, and we were all going to be on the street. And, you know, we, we were, everybody was going to sell their companies and Amazon was going to take over. And, and these things, they never, they never pan out like you think they're going to pan out. And in fact, there's a saying that uh, uh, something like, if you want, if you want to make the gods laugh, tell them your plans. And, and really everybody's plans going into 2020 have been turned on their ear. But I think that this industry needs to keep reminding itself that it is resilient and that people want to live places. They want to own homes you know, for many years, oh my gosh, we're people, we're millennials, you know, are they going to buy houses? Well, we're going to buy houses. Oh my gosh, are these people going to buy houses? Are they going to want to own houses? Yeah, people, people need a roof over their heads. And we are in a position to do that. And we are going to come out of this at some point. Uh, there's a lot of conjecture about how we're going to come out of it. But frankly, we are going to come out of it and people will want to borrow money again. And they're still wanting to borrow money and people want to live in school districts that are going to be good for their kids. And people want a white picket fence around their house. And I think it's easy to get caught up in, in certainly what's happening around the globe right now. Um, but I think that this industry is a very good place to be. And I think that the fact that uh, we have some really smart people in this business who are who are. Uh, planning ahead and thinking about how to help borrowers and how to help the industry, I think is, is uh, uh, obviously working in our favor. So we'll come out of it. It's just a matter of, of how and when, and that sounds obvious, but I think uh, given what I'm seeing out there, there's a lot of optimism. There are a lot of people who are being very productive, working from homes that are continuing to help borrowers. Rates are good. Uh, rates aren't as good as they were, you know, a month or two ago, but rates are still really good. And people can still benefit from refinancing. And it's just a matter of, of doing the right thing for the borrowers in a compliant manner. So that's that's how I would that's how I view the world right now. It might be a little bit Pollyannish, but uh, I'm optimistic about our industry. So that's that. That's good. That's a, yeah, that's a great way to sum it up. Uh, thanks again to uh, Matt Morrow, Rob Chrisman. Uh, Ken Torrey and Al Kureshi and John Maddox. Uh, we're going to wrap up the panel today. Thanks everyone for joining and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you guys are looking for more content like this, we have a fun loans YouTube channel where we give away more tips, secrets, and origination ideas. You can also email us at info at funloans.com. And if you've made it this far, I think it's safe to say you like our content. So please subscribe, share, and send us your scenarios. Let's fund loans together. 